Welcome to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, thanks to our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's Central Iowa's premier good food store. Gateway brings together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Hey, Dr. Charles Goldman's with me again. Um, Charles, good to have you. Good seeing you, Ed. Hey, by the way, thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. You're a big fan of Irish music, Charles. Oh, absolutely. You're just saying that. No, I mean, when I, <laughs> when I, when I lived in West Virginia, I mean, I was very much into uh, traditional music, and a lot of that is Irish defend, influence yeah, or yeah, definitely just straight influence. Irish music. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, we want to talk about the Republican plan to destroy the earth uh, and democracy. <laughs> but first... Uh, well, they're I, one and the same. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, Project 2025 is... That's exactly what they want to do. Right. And that's really important. This is less important, but it's so, it's so captivated my attention. I've got to share it with you. Okay. So uh, average American woman, Peggy Jones, 64 years old, um, from uh, Silsby, Texas. Uh, she and her husband are out there mowing the lawn. I guess they have a big enough lawn where it takes two of them to do it. There are a lot of lawns like that out there. Ours is not one of them. So anyway, yeah. they're out there mowing the lawn, and she gets attacked by a snake. Now, when I say that, you would imagine the snake is going to, like, jump out of the grass and grab her leg or something. You, yeah, you assume it because they, right. they are pretty ground-bound, most Right, snakes. but you would be wrong because this snake fell from the air, and it starts wrapping or wrapping itself around her so arm. So it, it fell off a plane? If, well, that was, that was the movie, yeah. <laughs> no, it fell out of a hawk's grasp. Oh, a hawk was flying cool. with this snake, right. and apparently a fairly big— I, didn't, they didn't, I don't know what kind of snake it was— uh-huh. But apparently it was a big enough snake that when it fell, it landed on her and started wrapping itself and tightening itself around her arm. But the hawk was not going to be deterred by simply dropping its prey onto a, a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, so it comes down there and it's attacking her, trying to get the snake back. And um, it, the wings are cutting and slicing her. What did she say? Here's her quote. I was violently shaking my arm to try and get the snake off. He just wrapped and squeezed tighter and tighter. The hawk was darting in and out, grabbing for the snake. His wings were slapping me while he was clawing at the snake, and that is where the deeper cuts and rips came from. Ouch. So Peggy Jones, she was taken to the emergency room by her husband where, I love this, after hearing her story, the doctor asked her if she was on drugs. I could understand wondering about this story. I guess it could have been worse. It could have been a shark. So what, what, it could honest. have been a shark, Charles. <laughs> a shark could have fallen out of the air well, it's like from it, a tornado. <laughs> from the Sharknado. That's right. That's right. It would have been more than one <laughs> I mean, shark. You talk, talk about scientific. Yeah, a movie with sharks are being picked up by tornadoes yeah. out of the ocean yeah. and dropped on the earth. Well, you know, that's no more uh, incredible scientifically than the hoax of climate change, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. In some people's yeah. minds. Yeah, so, and, and to, for, to the... Or to, as, as, as the, the person who was harassing um, our, you know, local weather person who had to... Chris Gloninger. Chris Gloninger. Yeah, the, the climate changes every day. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no. Sorry. The weather changes That's the weather. every day. Okay. So anyway, yeah, yeah. But uh, but but the climate deniers are out there. You know, and I, I don't even know how seriously most of uh, the power elite are when it comes to denying. I think they probably know what's going on. They know climate is, is, is changing. They know humanity's actions have caused it. They just want to continue to get rich. And the Heritage Foundation embodies that whole philosophy. And they have uh, they're behind this uh, this uh, detailed proposal. That will guide the next Republican president, um, and uh, they'll, they'll roll back climate initiatives. And basically, if you look at a lot of the detail of it, and it's a pretty extensive report, it would dismantle democracy as we know it. Right. We talked about this about a month ago. You know, we were talking about sure. the um, unitary executive theory, and that's mm-hmm. this is this is the culmination of what the Heritage Foundation actually presented to Reagan. You yeah, know, as far back, and that's really where you know how long it's taken for them to really kind of get to the point where they might be able to find somebody who'd be willing to do this, because as we said then, Trump doesn't care because his only point in running for presidency is number one, to try to avoid going to to jail for the rest <laughs> of his life, and number two, to start the revenge tour. You know, so you know he'll be, they'll bring him this well, stuff and, and they'll and, say, hey, this sounds great. And third, know? his ego will will not allow him not to run for president. Right. Yeah. Well, so. he lo- yeah, he loves the attention. But yeah. yeah, no, this is this is this is absolutely what 
we were warning about a month ago. And it's called, I guess the, the Heritage uh, proposal is called what, the Mandate for Leadership? Uh, I just thought, I just know this project. 2020. Project twenty twenty five. Yeah, that's okay. how I know that. Okay, so that's correct. Maybe it's called both. But anyway, yeah, yeah it's uh, what well, you you've been. I mean, it's a lot. It's like what a thousand pages long. Yeah, and, and but and they're they're already having people working on identifying who would slot into these various administrative agencies. Who's going to go? You know, um, it, presumably it's anybody stuff. anybody Biden appointed will be gone if Trump wins. Well, yeah, I mean, but. You know, they're getting very granular with this. And the other part is they're going to try to get rid of as many of the civil service yeah, expertise that too, right? yeah, yeah, so that they can simply put people in. You know, as we said before, the, the um, you know, criteria Trump uses for appointments is that you know nothing about the agency you're being right. pointed to unless you're there that's, just to destroy that's, it. That's what's key. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, exactly. that would describe Scott Pruitt and the EPA. <laughs> well, he knew a lot about it, but he, he just wanted to get rid of the EPA. He already sued it, what, 10 times or so? Yeah, I, I, I suspect they'll bring yeah. him back. So um, just I'd love to compare Project 25, 20, Project 2025 slash Mandate for Leadership, whatever it's called, with uh, Newt Gingrich's contract with America which um, Bill Clinton and others called Contract on America. That was cute. Mm -hmm. But that was back in 1994. And that um, contract with America was supposed to reduce the size of government, um, cut taxes, uh, tort reform, welfare reform, and then a whole bunch of things that sounded really good. I mean, I would, you know, okay, so all laws that apply to Congress, all, all, all laws that apply to the rest of, the rest, the rest of us have to also apply to Congress. Who's not going to agree with that? Well, except, of course, if, if we went to, uh, you know, Ten Commandments slash Sharia law, that'd be a, have been a big problem for Newt Gingrich. Well, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm limiting the terms of all committee chairs. Those are, I mean, basically, I think the contract with America was a great campaign strategy. Mm -hmm. And I think it was part of the reason why Republicans uh, won back the Iowa, won back the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. They had not controlled the U.S. House and Senate, both chambers, since 1953. They won, a, they won 54 House seats that year. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. A, yeah, total, a, and, a total you know, washout. And, and so the, the real point is most of the contract never passed. None of it ever panned out. Uh, some of it just didn't get through, through Congress, despite having full Republican control. Other components were vetoed by President Clinton. And some were just substantially altered during reconciliation and negotiations. So, you know, to me, it was a, it was a big campaign ploy. Um, well, they were helped along by by the fiasco over the attempt to uh, do some sort of reform of uh, medical insurance in the United States. Tort reform. Yeah. Tort, well, not just tort reform, but sure. you know, Clinton appointed Hillary to kind of oh yeah the health know, healthcare the, reform bill. the healthcare yeah. reform bill right, and they were able to um, you know turn that around into the you know. As, as they would later, the you know the the people against Obamacare would later do it. Uh, you know, get get the government out of my Medicare. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's right. Right. So they were helped by that. You know, and yeah. It, but so I think the, I think here, you know, what what's going on is that it 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 sh it shows you who are the controlling interests in all this. Sure. I mean, the Heritage Foundation is absolutely dogmatically against the idea of climate change being you know generated by our activities maybe they aren't in when they go home but that is basically their position because they're in the same way that the nra is nothing but a marketing arm sure of the gun manufacturers the uh heritage foundation has become little more than a marketing arm for the oil and gas industry and for the upper 0.01 percent that even may not be associated directly with with fossil fuels, but that's their primary. I've never totally understood. Well, first of all, it's not uniformly that way, but I I don't understand why these people have to breathe the same air as everybody else. I mean, I understand that that they got the bunkers and you know the Montanas <laughs> and the Dakotas, you know, to hide away in. But ultimately, you know, if the sky turns to something that looks like Blade Runner times, you know, they got to breathe that air too. And you know, when the temperatures are astronomically high in places they shouldn't be, they can't change the temperature, you know? So I, I don't totally understand, you know, why they're so mercenary on this. Yeah. Well, anyway, beyond that, Project 2025, the 
recently unveiled Heritage Foundation plan to dismantle U.S. climate policy and many aspects of the democratic process. Uh, to me, it's a uh, it's not intended as a campaign tactic like the uh, like the um, uh, like the contract with America was, uh, which again did not really become policy. This really is intended to be policy. They want, they really want to do this. That's my my take is this is not designed to appeal to voters. Yeah, it's designed I mean- to appeal to the rich donors that support the Heritage Foundation and that are buying their congressional candidates, their presidential candidates, and they really want to see this happen. That's my take on it. It's different than contract with America. Oh, no, I, I totally agree with you because it, this is out there. I mean, this is, you know, it's not just been the New York Times and the Washington Post. This is, you know, making the nightly news. Mm-hmm. And there's very little in here that... Um, Fits with if, if you were trying to, to get the youth demographic in this country, I'm I, I think you know basically saying climate change is a hoax is not a winner. Now, yes, no. I, I do understand that 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 you know former President Trump or I prefer to call him Mr. Trump now, um, you know did campaign on that climate change was a Chinese hoax. Right. Um, but the vast majority of Americans don't believe that. Right. What. I think that fits with what the vast majority of Americans believe or feel, because that's. But what you believe, what you, you know, it's all belief and feel. It's not about facts anymore. Um, <laughs> number one, it all sounds good to them, as long as they don't have to make any sacrifice, or it doesn't cost them any money. Yeah. Well, fair enough. But let, let let's look at the detail of this. Sure. Well, what what do we what do, what what exactly do they want to do? You said they're already starting to line. They've got the policies lined up mm-hmm. or outlined. They've got the uh, personnel in some cases, in many cases, lined up, ready to go. What exactly do they want to do? And again, start with climate policy. Um, well, they want to they want to hobble all of the agencies that are regulating this because they're infiltrated by you know left wing communists who you know want to get in the way of extracting as much. Uh, carbon sources from the ground as we can. So they, they want the federal lands either abolished completely or and, opened up to whatever they want to do. I mean, speaking of which, Biden went, is in Arizona today or yesterday talking about the fact that he's going to close off about a million acres, million acres yeah. around yeah. the Grand Canyon so that you know uranium mining, which has be spoiled see, parts of Yellowstone see, isn't going to happen there. And that's that's a popular position with the average American across the political spectrum. But opening but doing away with national parks, public parks, public lands, uh, opening them up for drilling, that's not popular. That's why I think this proposal by the Heritage Foundation is not about campaigning. It's about winning and having everything ready to go cuz I mean, like you said a couple uh, last month with the uh, unitary uh, executive um, conversation they didn't expect to win. They, right. Trump did not expect to win. He did not expect to be able to. I mean, I mean, Trump didn't really care. But his handlers, the people pulling his strings, didn't expect to have the opportunity to in, to uh, to institute all these changes. Now they do, and they're ready to go. I, I think that's a great point, which is that they. I, I think that they also wonder whether, because because David Frum, who's a former Republican speechwriter, wrote an article about 10 days ago, in which he made the point that if Trump somehow wins and then, of course, pardons himself and stops all these investigations, he probably at best has a two-year you know, span of being able to be effective. Because, Why? Because it would be so, this would be so blatant and this would finally get people to say, you know, the ones who are going to say, I'm going to stay home because, you know, Joe Biden's too old and everything else that there would be such an upheaval that you would see kind of a, a wave like you saw in 1994. And so they have about two years to get this done. And then it'll be hard to get anything done because um, they'll that's probably a, lose that's control. That's a weird kind of optimism. Uh, <laughs> well, but I mean, I mean you know, it would be mayhem. It would be total chaos. And, yeah. and that's why I think this is, you're absolutely right. They, and they're putting it out there because they can figure on they understand that the appeal of Trump has nothing to do with his policies. First of all, I think you'd be hard-pressed to figure out what his policies are. I would assume that if Trump is the candidate, they'll probably run again with no platform. 
which is what they did in 20 in 2020 yeah right so um i think that you're right they just want everybody to know those who need to know this is what we're doing and we gotta get done fast right yeah. uh it's really interesting though because of course one of the things that their own you know hand-picked court has decided is that a lot of these things like going again they're going to fight over the uh, emissions from power plants and stuff According to the Supreme Court, that's a major questions issue, which is supposed to be adjudicated by the legislature, not by the executive branch. So it'll be a little interesting to see how they're going to finesse that. Um, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, they, 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 I guess they can figure they can count on at least three or four votes because that's it doesn't matter that Th- Thomas may have said, you know, Leo said something different a year ago. They'll just switch now and, oh, now this is executive function. It'd be be interesting to ask some of the presidential candidates coming to Iowa and other places where they stand on the Heritage Heritage Fund's proposal. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... They'll they'll probably skirt around it somewhere. Well, God, they won't even even say that Biden won the election, although they (laughs) hint it, you know. No, I agree with you. I think that would be... That would be... It'd be interesting to see whether they began to understand that people are actually figuring the, the scam out a mm. little bit. But you're right, they'll yeah. probably no and nobody from the media is gonna ask them. <laughs> Charles, it'll be up to you and me. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I gotta run to a short break again, Ed Fallon and Charles Goldman with you. We're gonna talk about racism when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to our sponsors and organizational partners, including Catholic Peace Ministry. That's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese. Catholic Peace Ministry focuses on nuclear disarmament, the need for diplomacy in Ukraine, and ending the permanent war economy. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.com. Sorry, .org. There we go. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. All right, Charles, so um, you and I have talked about racism before, and we certainly, I mean, I know there are those on the right that say there's not a racial problem in America. You know, I think history kind of suggests otherwise, but I, I thought it'd be helpful to look back at some of the, the, the racism affecting my ancestry and yours. I mean, starting with mine, if you don't mind. That's <laughs> fine. So um, there was an Englishman named John de Courcy, uh, this is way back in the uh, 12th century. In 1177, he finally took control of, uh, of Ulster. That's the northern part of Ireland. And um, the Irish were regarded as savages. Uh, cartoons from then and much later as well portrayed the Irish as uh, low-browed, more ape-like than, than human. And I'm going to post this on uh, on my website and on uh, on on, the, on our Facebook page as well. But but just looking through some of this stuff, Charles, um, you know, here's here's one that shows an Englishman, an Irishman, and a quote Negro, and two of those look an awful lot like apes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you can guess which two they are. And then all kinds of cartoons they they, they depict the Irish as subhuman, um, comparing them to, I mean, 
they were on a par with blacks back mm -hmm. in the 1800s. And I, I love this cartoon um, from uh, 1866. It shows Florence Nightingale, who we all adore, right? Florence Nightingale, yeah. great stuff. And then it, um, next to her is a drawing of Bridget McBruiser. I don't think that's a real name. I think that's um, it's kind of a stereotypical Irish woman. And you look, I mean, look at her. She, you, you know, the radio audience can't see this, but you'll see mm -hmm. this if you go to my website or Facebook page. But, you know, Florence Nightingale, attractive-looking woman, hair combed really nicely, nice outfit. Bridget McBruiser, the Irish woman, unkempt. Her hair is all over the place. And again, she looks a bit more like an ape than a human. True. Yeah. Um, another one I really love is uh, also from um, from about the same time. It was uh, kind of making fun of the Irish who wanted to declare independence. And it showed a, um, a very pretty, again, English woman dressed, uh, I mean, slim, with her hands folded, pleading with this barbaric-looking Irish woman who's very overweight. Her fist is up in the air. She looks, again, very ape-like, um, pretending to declare independence, you know, while smashing a plate on the ground. Uh, here, this one's even less subtle. This is a, a cartoon of the British lion, looking very regal, crown on its head, and the Irish monkey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is just uh, incredible. Uh there's another one, again, they're constantly comparing the Irish to, to blacks, uh, showing um, the equality between the South and the North, with the South being the Negro and the, and the, and the North being the Irish. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, uh, I mean, an often looking drunk, um, uh, again, usually often fat even, Mm -hmm. Even though I think when you were uh, living on potatoes and starving to death in the 1840s, you probably weren't overweight. Uh, just one after the other. And what, I, was, what was going on historically at this period uh, between the English and Irish? Well, the English were trying to make sure the Irish had no opportunity at all to, uh, to accomplish anything, even survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Irish language was forbidden. Um, you, uh, you, you couldn't use... I, I, the Irish had their own currency for a while. That was forbidden. Mm -hmm. You couldn't own land. You mean they had Bitcoin all the way back then? Bitcoin, that's <laughs> right. That's right, yeah. So you may, And uh, the Irish weren't allowed to... Irish Catholics weren't allowed to own land. In fact, my great-grandfather came over to the States in the 1880s, worked for a while in, on a trolley car, I believe, in Worcester, Massachusetts, made enough money to go back, and in, the, in early, I think about 1890... Irish Catholics were finally allowed to own land, and he had, he had you know, fortunately for himself, had been able to earn enough money to do that and to build the first two-story house in the area. I mean, every other house was you know pretty much one story. This was also made of rock like all those houses, but it was two stories. So what was going on was just a complete suppression of an entire population for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, and to be clear, if anybody still thinks that the Irish potato famine was a biological problem, you are absolutely wrong. Uh, at the same time that uh, that a million Irish people were dying of starvation, the English were they were exporting crops. They were exporting crops because we're talking about a country that is is wealthy in terms of land and rainfall. Mm -hmm. You know, so yeah, that's that's what was going on. So, but it's so, interesting. You know, it's interesting. There, there are so many similarities because really in many ways nothing changes. Um, it, here you have you know, what you would consider at least externally two white races. I mean the English and the Irish. The Irish being depicted as Negroid isn't really, you know, that's not true to what their skin color is. Right. And, but, you know, had, but you had to make that distinction that's in order correct. to justify suppression. That's correct. Right. And um, and then when, you know, because of the potato famine, there's, there's a lot of emigration to the United States. About a million people emigrated to the States and elsewhere, and, and about a million almost, died. And then almost immediately you see the, the same xenophobia you see now, the same use of the Irish and, and also the Asians out West. To uh, They were perfectly willing to extract labor from them. Mm -hmm. uh, they were perfectly willing to have the Irish serve in the Northern Army during the Civil War. Sure, and they were willing to have blacks do that, too. That, well, sure. But, they, they, yeah, I mean, it was more a... It, I think in both cases, they saw it as an opportunity, an opportunity to 
um, you know, validate their American right. status, you know, and, and of course it didn't, it didn't work. G- Gandhi made the same mistake repeatedly when he was in South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, supporting the British in the Boer War, supporting the British in the Zulu Rebellion, uh, supporting the British in World War One. And each time he thought, oh, we're equal citizens of the empire. They're going to respect us and they're going to they're going to they're going to treat us right after we show that we're willing to stand side by side and help. And again, he didn't take up a gun. They provided the Indians in South Africa provided an ambulance corps. But yeah, the same thing. The, the, you know, the, the, the imperial power is happy to use you as cannon fodder or in Gandhi's case as a med- medical supply team. Mm-hmm. But then once it's done, it's back to business as usual. And so, again, I think these cartoons, these depictions, these uh, verbal descriptions help solidify that whole distinction. I mean, and you're right. Um, Skin color-wise, the Irish might even be a little bit, you know, whiter than the English. More inclined to burn. Well, you know, it's one of the things that we've talked about a number of times, which is that we use skin color as a a you know segregator of somehow different peoples um and it's a meaningless it's meaningless in, in any biologic sense right it, it's a cultural phenomenon you, then you start having to make distinctions are well since you know many of the jews who came to the united states were from europe eastern europe eastern well, europe yeah. in particular yeah. but also from you know sure. the germans were from northern europe you know, so this was another, as with the Irish, you know, white race. And yet, really, all of this is the same that you see, the same racism, the same exaggerated depictions in cartoonish pictures, um, the same notion that there's somehow a separate, yeah. predominantly Protestant mm. white race. You know, but ultimately, all of this, all of this is about Control. Yeah, it's all about control. Yeah, about subjugation. Right. I mean, I, 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 I think we should. I have to read because I think this should be up on instead of the Ten Commandments, this should be up on the wall in schools. (laughs) Um, You know, Lyndon Johnson's quote: "If you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on, he'll empty his pockets for you." And that's exactly the purpose Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. this that racism serves yeah you know and not to acknowledge that you know that racism is baked into and 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 this is this is the new dodge the new dodge is well yeah maybe we were racist in the united states uh, maybe like we are racist in the united states but it was worse in the past, which is probably true in many yeah, ways. Yeah, there's no denying that. Right. But there has been progress. It's hard right? to I deny mean, that it still doesn't exist. Exactly. And, you know, the new thing is, well, if we're going to talk about slavery, let's talk about the fact that there's still slavery that exists now and that it existed in many cultures and that there this, you know, again, if you read this, all that's going on around the curriculum in particularly southern states, there were African-American slave masters, mm-hmm, right. you know, um, and the various tribal, you know, the groups in, in Africa both had their own slaves, but also, you know, brought the slaves to the coast, to the, mm-hmm. the trade, the slave traders. The West Coast the, of yeah, Africa. Yeah, right, yeah. to yeah. the United States. And that's, that's yeah. all true. But it doesn't negate the fact that they were running a multi-state concentration camp, all right, right. And, yeah. to, and, and the stupidity of saying, well, they learned skills. Hey, you could learn skills by being in a vocational program and being a free person. Yeah, you know. Yeah, who who said that recently that they were they were praising? It was the it was the change they were trying to, to sort of uh, you know uh, dumb down the curriculum in Florida. I mean, maybe that's not a term I should use because you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. But. Um, well, it, yeah, and they were talking about that. Um, we don't talk enough about. The good things. The, the good things that came out of slavery. Right. Skill sets learned. Right, yeah. But, you know, one, one thing you and I have, have in common, Charles, is we each have a, an, an, uh, an overbearing grandmother. Mine, <laughs> Irish Catholic, yours Jewish, right? <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 and Jews are also, and still to some extent, maligned. I mean, I want to play this clip. 
The visual is even more empowering. But just oh, this is the guys with the tiki torches. Yeah, this is. It yeah. starts off with the, uh, the white supremacists marching, saying Jews will not replace us, and then it runs into this very entertaining um, uh, collage of um, anti-Jewish sentiment that uh, you know that really it, is, it isn't as prominent today. But gosh, it's still out there. Let me play it for you. Well, by numbers, actually, it's becoming much more prominent. Jews will not replace us. Jews will not replace us. Since the Middle Ages, drawings haven't been so nice to a group of people unfairly slighted once or twice. They were made to look like bad guys, and that message carried over, but it shouldn't really come as a surprise. Find out why. Before the time that pictures moved, Cartoons lampooned and knocked the Jews. Depicted big-nosed, hunchbacked, and crude. To be Jewish became taboo. So when those pictures moved, bad guys got these nasty features through and through. Children drank this poison juice. It's no wonder that kids think that we're the bad guys when we're portrayed as a costume for a murder-driven wolf. That's subtext. What do you think of that, Charles? Um, nothing changes. No, I mean... It, <laughs> well, it, 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 it's not as bad as it was, right? I mean, just with the Irish. Things things are better, but I think, again, that, you know... The Europeans are the fountainhead of anti-Semitism, not, not the Arabs. Sure. Or right. the Persians. Yes, or... Yep. Yeah, the, the, the circulation of the protocols of the elders of Zion were done by Europeans. Mm-hmm. Um, the despicable position of the organized Catholic Church during World War II, right. you know, was just, again, and, and, you know, essentially was... They were Christ killers. Why intervene, right? Well, I don't know if it was that, <laughs> it was that um, you know... That was Clear. behind the scenes, maybe. Right, yes. but they certainly weren't. They certainly weren't, uh, you know, in any way trying to intervene on the on behalf of these, you know, the Eastern European Jews or others who were being, you know, killed in the extermination camps or, yeah. out in the woods but in yeah, Russia. Here's what you know. I, and again, there, there will. I, I hope that at some point the human condition evolves to the point where we stop. We 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 just don't we don't accept any 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 attempt to malign. A group that are deemed to be different than us. Again, people aren't that different when you get down to it. You know, I mean, you can hope for that, but there's, there's advantages in terms of societal control. As sure, I know, you know, because if you're if you're made to think somebody else is worse off because of certain physical characteristics, yeah, and you know, or exaggerated, I or mean, exaggerated. Your 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 nose isn't that big, <laughs> and I don't look like a monkey, do yeah. I? I mean, you know, this. There are elements have not changed, all right? We, we have a paranoid conspiratorial bent in this country since the very beginning. We have a much more fundamentalist version of Christianity than most places. Yeah. Um, and um, pretty much everyone who's different than the original yeah. white settlers who came here, of course, you know, you know the history of the United States, the new history of the United States. I mean, the, the European settlers came here, they had Thanksgiving, you know, and then they... Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they thank the Indians. They thank the Indians them. and then slaughtered them. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it, you're right, but nationalism and re, and organized religion are unfortunately the two big things that foster this notion that we're different and that we're not that we. It's not what Jesus taught, but I mean that's where it's gone to. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, you know, and, and I think about again. I look a, a bigger look at the Irish. I mean, for centuries maligned discriminated against, considered beasts, considered more ape-like than human. Um, that has passed. We have got beyond that bigotry. Um, part of the... But, they, one, one, but unfortunately, uh, un, unfortunately, unlike the Jews who have also been better incorporated, they seem to have forgotten the lessons of when they were the outsiders. Which one, the Jews or the Irish? Both. Both, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, and I do, I do know, I mean, look at, I look at Sean Hannity, who to me is a, a very Irish name, has had an Irish background. And is disgraceful in terms of what he does to promote hatred and bigotry and division. As is Steve Miller. As is Steve Miller. And also, I mean... And, and he's not Irish. We can have another conversation about this, but, I mean, 
you know, to think of what happened to the Jewish people throughout history, especially during World War II, and then to look at the condition of Palestine. Or, yeah. or making, taking, you know, children away from their parents at the southern border. Sure. And yeah. disappearing them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, that's a, a scratching the surface of racism, history and current times. Got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get Charles's take on Oppenheimer. Kathy and I discussed that last week. And I know I, some, some like to hear me say Oppenheimer, but I just feel like saying Oppenheimer. So there, I'm the talk show host. I get to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charles, we'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Years ago, Chef George Fromaro envisioned a new market to house all his favorite foods under one roof in the heart of Des Moines. From that vision, Gateway Market was born. Over the years, Gateway has become Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate, personalized service. Gateway's welcoming environment in downtown's Sherman Hill neighborhood encourages discovery and honors the simple pleasures of the table. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, experience the good food difference at Gateway Marketing Cafe. Catholic Peace Ministry was founded in 1981 to work for peace and justice. It's an independent nonprofit with no ties to the Des Moines Catholic Diocese and is guided by an ecumenical board representing many faith traditions. CPM focuses on the urgency of nuclear disarmament and the need for diplomacy in Ukraine. CPM also provides an educational forum about the permanent war economy, which must be challenged if we are to achieve lasting peace and justice. Learn more at catholicpeaceministry.org. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks again to our sponsors, including Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Dr. Joel Westrom and his staff are fluent in English and Spanish. The clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page. All right, Charles, so uh, you finally caught up with me and Kathy and got to see Oppenheimer, or Oppenheimer. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen Barbie yet. No, but I'm sure you're dying to see Barbie. I, you know, I, I've heard that a lot of people have liked Barbie. I like Barbie. But <laughs> some others have said it's, it's, it's pretty dogmatic. You know, it is. It's, it's a little it heavy-handed is. in it its is. message. In the last you know. half hour, hour was kind of worthless, but anyway, Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... It's it's amazing, it's amazing that a movie that's three hours long, um, has been as popular as this one has. Hey, Lord of the Rings is nine hours long. <laughs> well, but it's not all in one sitting. Um, not for some people. Yeah. yeah, and the other thing I, I I was struck, you know, in terms of the movie is that it's not a movie that's easy to watch if you don't know some of the players already. Uh, good point. You know, because yeah. it seemed like there was just an endless number of characters, you know, and it's not that you had to know exactly each physicist's name and, and what their role was. I, but even, you know, to to understand who Edwin Teller was, what was his relationship with Oppenheimer, you know, right. which, um, and... Teller wanted to build the hydrogen bomb. Well, that's correct. Yeah. And, you know, the... It probably there were more women who served in in technical roles than were depicted in the movie, so it it, it didn't sort of write that wrong. And in, in the you know because this this Oppenheimer has been done many times um, in previous movies. I think David Strathern um, has done two, one with uh, in like the nineteen nineties, another like two thousand seven with American Experience, um, where he's Oppenheimer twice. Um, so, but I it. It was really a monumental achievement in many ways. I mean that you know they went and built a city in the middle of nowhere, basically on some plateau in New Mexico, an isolated area of New Mexico. Well, I then you know, okay, that's that's where that's where I have trouble with the film. It okay, was, it was isolated from a white American point of view, but th this was home to Native people. And you know, I, when I when I marched across country uh, across New Mexico, I mean 
the Laguna Puebla people, uh, there were like nine different native nations that were incredibly hospitable to us. Mm-hmm. That's their land. That's their home. And they were, they were moved out of there so this could be built, so these bombs could be tested. And there, there are people who are still feeling the ill effects. That's, uh, a, different, that's a different story because the issue of that they were not concerned about fallout um, was, I, yeah, you're right, was given really no attention whatsoever. And as you point out, they were not that far away no. from the Trinity site. There was a really good story in Waging Nonviolence this, uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tina Cordo- Cordova, uh, she's a fourth-generation uh, family member to have come down with cancer relevant to uh, you know, the, the uh, Trinity explosion and the subsequent nuclear testing. And you know, they're also downwind from the Nevada test site. Uh, she was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. She talks about... Um, uh, her first cousin getting a rare brain tumor. She talks about a friend whose sister was recently just given a few months to live, and that friend's ex-wife, who now has stage four cancer, that friend's a nine-month-old grandson who's now receiving chemotherapy for a blood disorder. You know, and Tina says, quote, I wish I could say that my family and my friend's family are unique, but they are not. We document this level of cancer over and over in a multitude of families in New Mexico. It is not a rare occurrence. Okay. I just wish the film had talked about that. We don't. Well, well, Oppenheimer had really no direct role in that. In fact, the memo was uncovered in light of Oppenheimer coming out, showing that Groves knew about it, and that Oppenheimer and the scientists basically shut up because he was already out there saying that. um, that, Saying what? That the fallout wouldn't be an issue. Because... As they were developing the weapon, they assumed it would mostly be the thermal injury as well as the, the concussive injury that would be the issue. Well, they had, they had to know there were problems because they admitted that there was a, not, there was, there was a chance that this could blow up. Blow, the that, that could, it could lead to a chain reaction that right. would, would ignite the atmosphere. That's correct. And actually, one of the points in the movie, which I thought was actually showing you again humanity in a horrible situation, when they're taking bets on whether... It is going to ignite the atmosphere. So, right, right, right. Because um, we'll bet on anything. Yeah. But <laughs> it, it spread actually radiation all over the world. Because, yes, the winds well, picked it up. No, it did. It, 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 sure, it, but in it, decreasing doses, the further east you got. Okay, but you've also got other reasons why people can get cancer in New Mexico. And this is many, many years later. There's no question that it did affect the people who were close by. But weirdly, some of the people who were close by were like the press. The press was only a like 100 feet or something from this. That's incredible in a, to me. In a, in, a, in a trench. But the same thing happened when they started doing open-air testing later on, like, you know, Bimini and all these, uh, not, not Bimini, the, the atoll out in the middle of the Pacific. Bikini Island. Bikini, yeah. yeah. And, you know, they were exposing our own soldiers to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, but I, 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 you know, the interesting thing is that what did you come away from in terms of what the real thrust of the movie was. You know, you, you mean from a director's point of view? What was, the, what was, what the, was Chris the, Nolan, uh, right? I mean, was yeah, he trying to accomplish? Right. I mean, obviously, he was trying to show the, the complexity of Oppenheimer. Sure. You know, and, and how... And, and, you know, I think one of the things that the movie got across was this was during World War II. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't a, a a exercise in let's talk about the ethics of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. It's this is during World War II. We are afraid that somebody else is going to get the weapon. Well, specifically Hitler. Correct. Well, I don't think there was ever any concern that Japan was going to get the weapon. No, no, and and obviously, and one of the things that was true is many of these physicists and other scientists were Jews who were driven out of sure. Europe because mm-hmm. of Hitler. And they were they many of them I think would have had a lot less qualms about them dropping it on Germany, right. you know, because of the six million plus who died in the camps. Although you know we we sort of whitewashed the Japanese's behavior during World War II and the years running up to it, you know, the the millions who died in China, you know, during their occupation, um, their treatment of prisoners and and others, you know, in the islands that they mm-hmm. took over. I mean. Right. Um, their behavior was maybe not to the same degree, at, at, you know, at same magnitude of numbers, but it was, it was pretty reprehensible too. So, 
but yeah, again, what what did you? So my my, my thought is and again, I, I can't read Nolan's mind, but uh, to me, what comes across as if I, if I could guess what points of importance, other than making a good film, what what points of importance Nolan was trying to make? It was one, uh, the decision to build and drop the bomb was complex complicated. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a clear black and white thing. It may it seems more black and white to some of us today. Like you could have ended the war. Again, first of all, it was the bomb was developed to respond to Hitler. And oops, I guess we don't need it for that purpose. We we were able to we were able mm-hmm. to end the war on that front. But you know, I I think there was this interest in testing it out. See, you know, we see, we see how it works in the desert. Let's see how it works on people. I I hate to say that, but I think that was part of the motivation for dropping it not once but twice. You know, tested two different ways on two different cities. Well, there were two I, different there were two different weapons. Right. So let's test them both out, and, I, and I, that's hideous to me. But I think that was part of it, and I think I think Nolan's presentation maybe it isn't quite cut and dry, but I think it makes it clear that that you know that, that there was there was some there was a lot of doubt about whether or not that was the moral decision to do, and I think the fact that there is that that, that doubt is presented in the film. To me, it leaves one with the with the, you you can you can easily come to the conclusion that, that yeah that was the wrong decision, and I think that's important. To me, what's more important is that the again the, the conflict between Heller sorry Teller mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and Oppenheimer about whether to build the hydrogen bomb, which was clearly much much worse, and is what we have today, and and in, worse. And you know th- that's and, correct. Although so, in 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 much decreased numbers. Now, unfortunately, with a weapon like what, a hydrogen, thirteen thousand weapons. It used to be fifty thousand. I know that, but that's hardly. There's not not much comfort in that. No, <laughs> but it, it 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 is further than you would have thought we could have come at the time we had fifty thousand. But I, I think the it's not far enough. No, no, no I, I I understand that. But we'd have to be a much fur, further along as civilization to be able to get rid of them because well we better get along i we, we'd better we better move forward pretty listen quickly. we've dropped them on ourselves i mean we've had weapons fall out of planes and drop in north once, carolina once i think well was once it, was it arkansas no it was north, north carolina. carolina right and there were eight interlocks and seven of them failed yeah you know um there have been situations where the russians misidentified sure. an attack from the united states right. and basically a general basically said i'm not firing my there's weapons. a movie there's a movie about that mm-hmm. yeah uh, i think met was matt damon in it maybe i can't remember now yeah, matt damon again again since he was gross yes. yeah, well. <laughs> no but I, I i i think that that also a lot of the movie because in many ways what slows the movie down is the um atomic energy committee sure you know, uh, taking away Oppenheimer's. But the reason that's in there, it, it, I know you, you guys talked last time about the issue of the McCarthyism yeah. influence, but the reason that's in there is because the book upon which this movie is based, American Prometheus, um, spent a lot of time with that. And also because eventually the transcripts came out and they wanted people to see how he was railroaded, how... He was no longer useful in some ways because he had his doubts and he was expressing these doubts. Um, so, you know, that's, I think, one of the reasons why that's there. But the other mm-hmm. thing is that I, I think it is interesting because the question of why did we drop two bombs? Or even one, in my well, opinion. Okay, so, yeah. you know, it, it even with all the revisionist history that's kind of come up about it, um, and, and this does involve Teller, is that um, they had already firebombed uh, Tokyo, Tokyo, yeah. and killed probably as many people as the Hiroshima bomb killed, ultimately. Um, you know, and and then of course you know you have the situations like the bombing of Dresden that you know Kurt Vonnegut wrote about in Slaughterhouse mm-hmm. Five, and I mean it was just one of many inhumane acts of 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 war. Yeah. Um, the second bomb was dropped from my understanding of, of the history, because the Japanese still were not ready to surrender. Yeah, see, I, and I don't buy that. I, I think you could, no, have, I mean, you could have blown up, hey, Hirohito, uh, the emperor, whatever it is, you, come see us blow up this island, and then maybe you'll want to surrender because we, we, we don't want to do this to your cities. I mean, I can't imagine he wouldn't have surrendered. Well, I can't imagine. They had, already, they had already obliterated one city with one bomb. So... Anyway, you know, they didn't. They but, were not ready to surrender. And in fact, the other reason they dropped the bomb, at least one, was that 
they wanted to end the war, number one, without killing you know, multi-millions of Japanese civilians and probably hundreds of thousands of American troops. And, you know, the Japanese basically, you know why they, the belief is the reason they capitulated was not the second weapon. It was that they figured they were going to lose anyway. And that the Americans were much better to surrender to than the, than the Soviets. Yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm, well, I have a different take on it. But real briefly, quickly, back to the other element of the movie about mm-hmm. the, uh, the interrogation of, uh, of Oppenheimer, uh, his event- eventual inevitable dismissal as a, as a person of value. You know, I, I mean, there's one thing Americans love more than heroes. It's seeing those heroes dethroned. I mean, see Tiger Woods for details. Um, somehow Tom Brady has avoided that fate. Um, but, you know, there's, there's plenty of examples of people who we idolize uh, and then destroy. And I think, you know, that's part of it. But, of course, this was, this was the witch hunt of the 1950s uh, led by Joseph McCarthy. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we all know where that went. There were a lot of, lot of heads that rolled uh, under the guise of uh, let's stomp out communism. Well, yeah, I mean, we know certainly, um, you know, the Lavender Purge, you know, where they had to get rid of all people who were gay or suspected to be gay in, in State Department and other places because they would too easily be turned. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it, it, another despicable time in American history. Well, uh, Charles. You know, under the very affable yeah. President Eisenhower. Right, right. <laughs> well, Charles, hey, thanks for joining me today. Uh, folks, Charles Goldman with me here in the studio. Uh Ed Fallon with you back in a minute. Kathy Burns joining me. We're going to be talking about artichokes, my favorite food. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Clipsham asks that you use the most energy-efficient methods you can afford and the greenest, longest-lasting materials available. Examples of Mark's work can be found at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. At Westrom Optometry, Dr. Joel Westrom and his team provide a variety of services, including comprehensive eye exams, children's eye exams, and LASIK co-management. Whether strictly utilitarian or a fashion statement, your comfort and vision are Westrom's primary concern. Dr. Westrom and his staff will work closely with you to determine the best solution for your eyes, prescription, and lifestyle. Services are provided in English and Spanish, and the clinic is open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. and on Saturdays by appointment. That's Westrom Optometry, located in Des Moines East Village. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Hey, thanks to our sponsors, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Central Iowa's premier good food store, bringing together the world's finest products with Iowa-grown foods and passionate personalized service. If you're looking for quality foods with a community focus, check out Gateway Marketing Cafe. Kathy Burns is with me, and we are going to be talking about my favorite food item, artichokes. Because they're so exotic. They're Well, they're also... I guess they're my second favorite food item after butter. Butter. Well, they go together. <laughs> uh, we did talk about artichokes in November of 2020, but we were mostly focusing on... That's almost their, three years ago. It's, we're due. It's time again. We're due. And, and the fact that they're biennial and how we tricked them into producing their first year in the ground. Uh, so that was the focus of that, plus the amount of butter that we eat um, when we... And, and artichokes help us with that. Yeah. Um, but, our, yeah, it's our most luxurious crop because it uses a lot of space for a very little bit of food. And, and kind of a, as a starting point, people often don't realize what part of the plant an artichoke is. Mm-hmm. It's the bud. It's the flower bud. Uh, it's, it's an unbloomed flower. Yeah. Um, then, and if you don't pick the artichoke fruit and eat it or the bud, 
uh, then you'll get a flower, and then you can have seed for the next yeah, year. Yeah, and it's a beautiful purple flower that, that the pollinators love. Mm-hmm. And it really it looks a lot like a thistle because an artichoke is basically related to thistles. It is. It's in the technically in the daisy family. Thistles are in that family. Also, lettuce, sunflowers, tarragon. So what what's the history? I mean, how, how far back did people get the idea to start eating this thistle? It's not, it's not clear, and there's some debate about whether it was um, ancient Greece or Rome, or whether it was developed e- even later. But uh, uh, the plant that the artichoke is uh, uh, a, another generation of, or, a, a, you know, technically it's a cardoon, but it's a cultivated cartoon, cardoon. People uh, cardoon. decided how to make it a little bit better sure. to eat. It is mentioned in the 8th century BC by Homer and another writer named Pliny the Elder wrote that, uh, and this was during the time of Christ, he refers to the cardus as being grown in Carthage, and that's that's an oh, artichoke. Okay. And so we how- can really credit Catherine Medici, uh, Catherine de Medici in the 1500s. He was married to Henry II, and uh, she came she from was. France. I'm yeah. sorry, she was married to right. Henry they, II. They didn't, they didn't have same-sex marriage back then. Uh, they probably <laughs> did. But... <laughs> but um, but she is credited for bringing a lot of, quote, exotic foods from to the England, Mediterranean from, from, okay. from France So how did England. it get from there to the U.S.? In the late 19th century, uh, the French brought artichokes to Louisiana, and Spanish mm. immigrants brought them to California. So uh, it really was they, brought to places that they people could grow them. Well, they don't really grow in Louisiana, do they? Um, I guess I don't know. No. I mean, we grow them in Iowa, so you can grow them anywhere. But they're, this is they're cooler not, weather than yeah. Louisiana. I mean, they're really, really well suited to the north, uh, to Northern California, Oregon, mm-hmm. that area. Somewhere where they can winter over more easily, yeah. and we have wintered them over here. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard work. Well, it's not that hard. Okay. Well, it's. <laughs> It's not okay. I take that back. It's not hard work. It's a kind of a to do because you have yes. to pile the straw and the soil Mulch, and the blankets yeah. on and leave them yeah. on all winter and then. And, and we then get, we we've been able to keep about what fifty percent of them make it through the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is cool, and the plants come back stronger. Yeah, really strong. And more more uh, you know more stalks and more more chokes. Our biggest problem has been. Aphids. Aphids have been really and tough. And I, I know that Romillaria leaf spot is a problem for artichokes, but our problem has been aphids. Um, yeah, we we've decided. A lot of people talked about aphids on their artichokes this year, and we uh, we treat constant treatment with insecticidal soap with some neem oil, and it is helpful. And honestly, that didn't work really well. We did not have a great crop this year. It, it, because we because the aphids took over. Eventually, that treatment did eliminate mm. the problem. But um, we've got to, I think we just need to move, yeah. try, try a different plot next year. A really fun fact, though, about the artichoke's name. The scientific name is Sinara cardunculus, and it's derived from Greek mythology. The story is that Zeus fell in love with a girl named Sinara. Wait, Zeus fell in love with somebody? Well, he fell in lust with somebody. Oh, okay, that's He right. was married yeah. to Hera at the time and thought if he took... <laughs> he couldn't help himself. If he took Sinara yeah, <laughs> to Mount Olympus, made her a goddess, and then and then when Hera... The, the story really is when Hera was away, he could just have his way with, um, with this new lady. But... She became lonesome for her family. She started secretly visiting them, and Zeus discovered her receipt. And when he kicked her, her off Mount Olympus... Her, he hmm? discovered her... Deceit. She okay, was yeah, sneaking yeah, yeah, away yeah. Right, to right. go visit her family. He kicked her off of Mount Olympus. For some reason, he turned her into an artichoke. Was and that, that's why... Was that a sign of love? Not yeah. well, because I mean, he was Zeus. He didn't yeah, I mean, have love. He had power. So some of Zeus's um, concubines ended up with worse fates than being turned into artichokes. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what's. I I just yeah. I, I guess, mean, but I wouldn't want to be an artichoke. <laughs> no, but there were worse things than artichokes. I mean, yeah, Greek Greek uh, Greek mythology is full of interesting stories about that. But but I mean, for us, artichokes are just a. They're they're fun. You know, they're not. They're not a food you'd want to grow a lot of if you have limited space. No, and I think I saw something just a little bit ago doing my research for this that of one, you know, medium to large size artichoke, you're about to get uh, two ounces of food product from it. From one bud. Yeah, from one bud. Yeah. Two ounces of edible And you might get five or six from one plant. Buds. Yeah, buds. So, yeah, anyway. But they're beautiful. The pollinators love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, anyway. Hey, thanks, Kathy. Mm Mm-hmm.
thanks to our production team. Kathy Burns is part of that. So am I. And so are Sherry Herdina, Forrest Detterman, and Charles Goldman. Thanks also to our local small business partners, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and Western Optometry. Thanks also to our nonprofit partners, Birds of Bees Urban Farm, Bold Iowa, Catholic Peace Ministry, and Iowa Physicians for Social Responsibility. And thanks to the Des Moines Irish Session for our bumper music. We'll be back next week with another hour of Cutting Edge Talk Radio.